Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Okay. So, on Rosh Hashanah, there's, it's a two-day celebration, right? It's a two-day celebration because uh, no one knows the day or the hour at which it will officially begin, right? Because in, in the days of, of the temple, when uh, you would watch for the, new, the sighting of the new moon and come and give testimony to the Sanhedrin the next day to say, here, we saw it, and the Sanhedrin would declare, yes, the moon has been sighted and the new month has begun, Normally, that's not a problem for the uh, holy days because they would come 10 days or 15 days later. But when a holy day begins with the sighting of the new moon, there's uncertainty as to when it may be. So you begin to mark it before you know for sure about the sighting. And so then you have two days, which that's part of why this, this holiday is known as the day which no one knows the day or the hour, right? That may sound familiar to some, some of the words of Yeshua. We may not go into that today, but uh, he definitely made some allusions to this holiday and with his return. Now, our Torah portions on these two days both come from the book of Genesis, Genesis 21 and 22. So the first day is Genesis 21, the second day is Genesis 22, both of which tell the story of Isaac. Um, so Genesis 21 is about the birth of Isaac, and Genesis 22 is about the offering of Isaac. And we're going to, God willing, we'll, we'll talk about the offering of Isaac this evening at our, at our uh, service and celebration. But this morning, we're going to focus more on the, on the promise and the remembrance that the Lord had towards Sarah. Okay, so I want to start here in Genesis 18 which is not part of this uh, Torah portion reading, but it's definitely connected. Beginning in Genesis 18, verse 9, they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is, it, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, at this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Okay, so in this passage, the Lord is given a word that Sarah will have a child at this time, one year later, and the scriptures note that it was at the appointed time. And from that, the sages derived, well, it's likely that Isaac was born at one of the appointed times of the Lord, so which one was it? And there's actually some disagreement over which one it was. There are some who say, (laughs) I can't believe there's disagreement, but you know. You would think everything would be clear and easily resolved. 
across all spectrums of the faith, right? But we had, we had a disagreement in this instance. And the disagreement was, well, was he born at Rosh Hashanah or was he born at Passover? Okay, so some say one, some say the other. But that's one of the ties into why Isaac would be read at this time. There are, there are more that go along with it. Um, just for trivia sakes, I, I fall more on the side that he was likely born at Passover. Um, just from some uh, indications at the time of, of which the visitation came to Abraham. But again, I can't say that I'm right. But that's what I do fall on. Um, and then with, uh, with the aspect of, you know, could he have been born at this time? Sure. And it still would have been glorious, right? Because there's still the connection of God fulfilling his promises and his work of restoration being fulfilled in these appointed times, right? If we look at the appointed times, I know we've gone over this over the past few weeks, but we'll do it again. Um, God uses these appointed times to make significant advances in his plan of restoration. So you see Passover at the time of the exodus out of Egypt, right? When the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt was at Passover. The death and resurrection of Yeshua there at Passover. So where we are set free from the bondage to sin and death and brought into freedom such that we can become children of God. It's at Passover. We see at Shavuot or Pentecost the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And then you see at the same time the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on the apostles in Jerusalem after Yeshua's ascension. And, and so then we go forward. Of course, we're talking about today, Rosh Hashanah. It's a time in which we believe that Yeshua will be crowned as king over all the earth, beginning in Israel. And the Torah will go forth from Zion. And then, of course, over the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll encounter Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and we'll talk more about those at that, at that time. But within this, this day is also known as the Day of Remembrance. Okay? And it's a day of God remembering His promise. Now, when God remembers, He's, he's not just being like, oh yeah, I remember, okay, like He had forgotten, but He's moving on behalf of carrying out His promises. Remembrance to the Lord is an active thing. Okay? So God remembers His promise, and he sends the promised seed. So when we read in Genesis 18, the promise was being made and said, a year from now, at this time, at the appointed time, you'll bear a son, right? And, and Sarah laughed, right? Sarah laughed. And so that's connected to our reading for this week of Genesis 21. So in Genesis 21, starting in verse 1, the Lord remembered Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. You notice the repetition there, the appointed time? Yeah. So Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh for me. 
And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, Abraham, mocking. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Okay, so within this story, I'm going to take a brief detour just uh, kind of on this last part about Ishmael and how with his aspect of, of mocking. Um, and then he's sent out, Abraham sends him out with Hagar. And if you recall in the story, they're out in the wilderness and they run out of water. And she takes her son and the scripture says she put the child under a bush and she went away. When you hear that, do you get the picture of like a, an infant or a toddler, like a, a mom taking an infant or a toddler and kind of putting them aside and then going off to cry? I don't know if you do. I always did. But I, I mean, Ishmael at that time was likely around 19 years old. Yeah, he was likely around 19 because he was 14 when Isaac was born. And so then at the time that Isaac was weaned, it was right after that that he was sent out. So he was actually in the terms of what we would say in our society today, an adult, right? So it's interesting when we take the whole story and put it together and think through what was really happening at this point in time. And then does that change any of our thoughts along the way of, of what it is? But um, one other thing that stood out to me is how God still had a love for Ishmael and said, I'll make a nation of him because he is your offspring, right? And then thinking forward to the aspect of those who are Gentiles and become believers in Yeshua are grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, right? They are offspring of Abraham, whom God loves, right? Still his offspring and still beloved of God and that God has a purpose for them and a destiny, right? Just because God chose Abraham and his offspring through Isaac as a chosen and special people didn't mean he forgot everybody else. God loves all of his children throughout the world and his desire is to bring them to him, to call out, to sound that shofar, the awakening, the call to repent and return. Because as Jamie said earlier, you know, where do we come from? We come from the Father, right? All sparks of him, image, made in his image, being called back to him. So returning to who he called us to be, people of righteousness, people of love, people who are wholly his with our hearts and our minds directed towards him and set on him such that we live transformed lives for all people. Amen. So what really stands out to me too is at the very beginning of our scripture there saying that, um, that the Lord remembered Sarah, right? He remembered Sarah. 
He remembered his promise and began to send the promised seed to her. Now, you may have had promises from the Lord. I know that each of us have had promises from the Lord over our lives, over callings that he has for us, destinies that he has, provision that he has. But not all of those have been fulfilled yet. You know, maybe they've been fulfilled in part. Or maybe they haven't been fulfilled at all, right? The easy thing to do is for us to begin to forget and to be able to question and say, well, did I really hear that? Did the Lord really say that? Right? And that's, that's where I think Sarah was when she heard at the age of 89 the people outside the tent saying, at this time next year, Sarah's going to have a child. And she laughs in, in kind of disbelief. Like, I've waited this long. I don't see any way. How can this be? Right? So it was a, there was a laughter of disbelief, but perhaps there was also an element of hope in it. Right? Of like, could it really be? Right? But the laughter that she had at that time was totally different than the laughter she had once she was holding her child. When the promise was fulfilled and joy was overflowing. Right? It makes me think about uh, Psalm 126 in verses 1 through 3. The scripture says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Right? And I don't think I mentioned it, but you know, the word Isaac's name is laughter, right? Yitzhak. And so that, that's the theme here of all this, this laughter and this joy. And notice in, in the verses we just read in Psalm 126, it talks about when God calls back the captives of Zion. That's the return. That's the ingathering for those who have been scattered, who've been in exile, right? Now, within the story of Sarah initially having her laughter that she was admonished for, the sages questioned, why is it that the scripture would include such a, a text that would reflect poorly on Sarah, who was such a righteous woman and a prophetess, right? Why would, why would that be included? And the Hofetz Chaim teaches that this story is a warning to us not to doubt the coming of the Messiah. He says that just, just as Sarah had given up after so many fruitless years of waiting and hoping, we too are in danger of losing faith in the coming Messiah after nearly 2,000 years of waiting and hoping. But yet he could come any day. Right? And that's where we fix our mind and our hope. Right? That even though we know we can look in the scripture and we can say, okay, all these things need to be fulfilled, yet there's also the understanding that the day of the Lord could be hastened. Right? That when his people, when the people who are called by God's name will humble themselves and repent, then he brings restoration and healing of the land, right? The land can be the land in Israel. Also, it can extend to the whole world through, our, through Yeshua, right? Just as his salvation isn't for the Jew only. You know, it's, the Lord had asked in Isaiah saying, it, it's too small a thing that you should be for salvation just for the Jews, but you'll be for all nations, right? And Yeshua's... 
The restoration through Yeshua extends to all the earth. The restoration of the land extends to all the land, this entire earth being made new with, with Yeshua as king. Right? And so we, we, have, we cannot lose heart. We could lose heart if we just look all around us and we look at the chaos and the destruction and, and what would appear as hopelessness because when you look around, you see darkness. Right? Hopefully, when you look around this room, you see light. Right? <laughs> I'm talking about when you look outside. you know. But no, when we look in here, we see light because the light of Yeshua shines in each of us. Right? And then that light overcomes the darkness when we walk in His ways. But for us to walk in His ways, we first have to do teshuva. Right? And so here we are. We're in the days of repentance. We're actually, no, we're, we're not just now in the days of repentance. We still are in the days of repentance. But now we're moving into the days of awe. We're in the days of awe. Okay? These are the days of <laughs> when it's awaken and arise and shine and let your light shine. So God remembers his promises, even though the world may scoff at the hope that we have. Our hope remains secure through the work of Yeshua and through the promises of God because God is faithful. And a promise delayed is not a promise, this does not mean it's a promise that will be unfulfilled, right? Sometimes the delay can be for greater glory. The Lord could have redeemed the world in various ways, right? But he chose through the work of Yeshua, through the work of repentance, and to, to work through us broken vessels through his restorative power by the Spirit, right? He was willing to be patient in bringing about his promises and his purposes. So we have to remember and not forget, right? Now, one of the things that happens on Rosh Hashanah, according to tradition, is that names are written in the book of life or the book of death, and there's also another kind of like a undetermined, uh, not yet decided, okay? so. If you've, been, if you've been walking through repentance and seeking the Lord, your name's written for life. For those who have pursued wickedness, their name is written in the book of death for the coming year. And then there's some who kind of been sitting on the fence. If you're on the fence, go ahead and come on over to repentance, okay? <laughs> because we have 10 days until the books are sealed. The books are sealed at the Day of Atonement. Destinies can be changed through the power of repentance. We, we spoke about that a few weeks ago, right? About the uh, uh, last king, Jeconiah, who was taken into exile and the power of his repentance to reverse what God had decreed over him. And that through his repentance, his line was restored and the Messiah was born through his line. Repentance changes things. And these days, repentance changes things. So we still have hope. We still have hope. It's good news for anyone who's not repaired, not, not prepared. Now, what we're, what we're awaiting to hear is, is a great shofar, right? We're looking for the great shofar that heralds the return of Yeshua, okay? And, and that shofar will be sounded on the day of redemption, okay? And this great shofar is said to symbolize the ultimate level of pleasure, and can indicate the pleasure that God takes in each and every one of his children. And at the sounding of the shofar, 
that the sounding of the shofar will reach even to the hearts of, of the most distant of Jews, right? So the most secular would st could still hear the sound of the great shofar as a call to repentance. That Christians who have wandered and strayed, who may have come to know Yeshua at some point but have begun to walk away, the great shofar can still awaken and call, call us back to him and to create in us the desire to turn to the Lord with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our strength. So we cry out, even though, you know, whether we've walked away or whether we've been walking in repentance, the cry of our hearts is still for this penetration of the Spirit to stir within us this burning desire to grab hold of our Lord and to draw close to Him. The Scripture says that our Master will descend at this great shofar in 1 Thessalonians 16 through 17. The scripture says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead of Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, in Matthew 24, I, I had mentioned that, that Yeshua gave several allusions to his return being tied into the fall feasts, specifically into Yom Teruah and Rosh Hashanah. So in Matthew 24, I just want to read a few different verses, beginning in verse 11. Speaking of the latter days, which we are now in, the scripture says, Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness or Torahlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Right, the key here being that even in times of darkness and when apostasy is, is taking root, those who endure will experience the salvation of the Lord, right? And that's the part of us, Yeshua is calling us to hold fast to the promises, hold fast looking to his coming. And continuing on in verse 29 of Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Right? This was Psalm 126. When the captives are brought back, our mouths will be filled with joy and laughter. Amen. And then in Matthew 24, verse 45, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. This is what God's looking for, the faithful servant. 
the faithful and wise servant who does the works of the Lord according to his pleasure and what he's called them to do, right? In this case, he says, giving the servants their food at the proper time. This is the master caring for the servant, right? This is each of us caring for our neighbor and our brother and our sister. It's very dear to the heart of the Lord. And so in this time, you know, in these days of awe, as we're preparing for Yom Kippur, uh, Joel 2 has a, has a good message for us. Joel 2, verse 12 to 13, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Now, where we are right now, you know, today is not a day of weeping and fasting, right? Today is a day of rejoicing because we're in the presence of the king, right? We've, the king has been in the field throughout the whole month of Elul. He's been drawing near and he's been calling to us, and now we're coming into his, uh, his palace, if you will, into his temple, into his presence. And so there's joy. Now, there's still this call to awaken, right? But there, this is a day of joyous celebration and realizing that he's making good on his promises and that we can look forward to that and have hope in it. Now, Yom Kippur, yes, we'll, we'll have a day of, uh, of humbling ourselves and of fasting, and just laying ourselves before the Lord and coming to Him and calling on His goodness. It all comes down to trusting in His grace and mercy, right? Because we don't have our works to go and show before Him and say, look how worthy we are. Now we can come in. No, we're always coming to His feet and always laying before Him and trusting in His goodness. One more verse in Psalm 89, 15. The scripture says, blessed are the people who know the sound of the teruah. The teruah is that, the sound of the shofar, yom teruah. Blessed are the people who know the sound of the teruah, who walk in the light of your manifest presence, O Lord. Right? The people who know the sound of the teruah are those who are listening for the voice of the Lord and responding to him when he calls. Yes. Presence. Oh, I really want this. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, 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 you're good. But I'm trying to um, just kind of connect them, and you probably discussed this this week at your discussion. But um, honestly, in the past, I've always thought, okay, we have a lull and we're repenting. And now I always used to think of the 10 days of awe as like, well, now we're really like, it's getting close. And as if up to Yom Kippur to really, you know, have him make his decision. But really what I'm hearing you say, and, and just from my own study this week about this, the spiritual call of his trumpet, this is the only 
feast that doesn't have a natural harvest or anything associated with it, that it's just spiritual. Mm -hmm. So it's calling out our hearts uh, to come close. He's being coronated and, and we're in his presence. So the awe is more his presence. So the awakening is because of his presence and that's the awe. So we're just drawing closer, and then I don't understand really, well then why would we all of a sudden, oh now we gotta fast, because we've, as you've said, I mean we've been fasting. I'm just trying sure. to connect that a little sure. more and understand, this is the first time I've thought of awe as different, like okay. being so amazed because we've heard his voice and we're in his presence, more so than 10 days more of repentance, like intensified. Okay. Not that we're not doing that because in his presence we become undone, right. you know, and so we're just amazed. But I'm, mm -hmm. can you unpack that a little more? Just help me understand. Sure. Yeah, um, and, I, and I probably don't have like the greatest answer on this. There's likely a lot of other good com commentary that could be on it. But what I, what I think, Jan, is that it's both. Okay, we, we have awe and wonder and reverence toward the Lord for how magnificent He is. And because of that, we can glory in who He is and in, and in His uh, faithfulness to carry out His promises and to be gracious and merciful to us. And at the same time, like you said, in His presence, we're undone because we know that it's only by His grace and His mercy that we can be in His presence. And so... There's a, a joy and a appreciation and an awe and wonder of him. And at the same time, there's a fear of the Lord, too, that causes us to repent and to turn away from that which is uh, unrighteous and to turn holy to him. So I, I really think it, they go hand in hand. If we only look at it as a fearful awe where now I've really got to do penitence and beat myself for 10 more days really hard, like the first 30 days were minor, and these are the, then, then <laughs> now we're really going to do it. And then on, the, on Yom Kippur, oh. but so I, we, would, I, we would be wrong, I, I think, to do that. So, but it, it's, uh, then on the other side, it's like, okay, well, if we only just say, wow, God's so great and so forgiving and so gracious and don't do any repentance, then we've erred on the other side. So it's, we bring the two together. And so I, I think it's a, the answer is both. Yeah. And for every individual, where you find yourself in that spectrum is going to be different because, you know, for those who have been walking away from the Lord and who are just now awakening to the call, there's probably a lot of, like, shock. <laughs> but there's still also the recognition that it's by His grace that there's love. So it's, it's got to be the two working together. Um, that's, I hope that helps. So along with that, because we have the beauty and the joy of coming close to him, we realize that sin separates, separates us from God. We can't mm -hmm. be close to God if we have sin. So that is what causes that need to get rid of that and draw closer to him, right? Right. Okay. That's right. And then also, too, you know, when... So for the priests to approach the Lord, they had to come in a state of ritual purity, right? I mean, no impurity could enter into God's presence without being destroyed, right? So, I mean, if you imagine 
the manifest presence of the Lord showing up in this room right now, I don't know how many of us would survive. <laughs> right? And that's not to be like, that. I, just if the fullness of his glory were to show up without his hand covering us and shielding us from light that we can't even imagine, I think we'd be obliterated. That's not a grace or salvation issue. That's an aspect of the sinfulness of the flesh compared to the holiness of our God. Right? So what does a bride do before the coming of her king? She prepares herself such that she can be a bride who is without spot or wrinkle for her coming groom. Right? And so that's part of the call of teshuva is this preparation for the coming king such that we can bear more of his presence, right? And even as we walk with the Lord and we open up areas of our lives and our heart to him, the more we receive of his presence in our lives and working in us, right? So there's always, there's always the invitation to draw closer and to experience more of him. The question is, how much are we going to let go of such that we can receive more of him? And so, so we want to be people who know the sound of the truah, right? who know the sound that will declare Yeshua, and also just know the, the voice of the Spirit that speaks to us in our daily lives, right? so that we might walk in His ways and in His manifest presence. Our Master is coming. Maranatha, right? Yeah. Praise God. So I'm going to... Um, close this and pray, and then Jared's going to come up and share about uh, the month of uh, Tishrei. Unless, it, does anybody have any other questions? Sorry to cut it a little bit there. Okay. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We bless your name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness to, your prom- to, to keep your promises. We thank you for your covenant faithfulness, Lord. Lord, that you have a desire for all to come and to be with you, to know you, to experience true repentance and to walk by your light. Lord, I ask that you would awaken our hearts this week. Lord, that any area in our heart that needs to be opened up and laid before you, Lord, anything, any sin that we need to lay down, any reconciliation we need to make with our brothers and sisters, Lord, that we would, that you would call that to our mind, that we would be responsive to you, that we would know your voice. And just as Abraham was quick to get up and do according to your word, that we too would be quick to do according to your word, that we might be found as the faithful servant, Lord, at the coming of Yeshua. We bless you and we thank you and give you great praise in his name. Amen. All right. Thanks, Chris. Um, so much of Tishri is about what Chris just spoke about. So thanks, Chris, and amen. <laughs> no, but it's, this is a month. Uh, so usually, um, for those that are visiting here, we, we like to talk about the, the new moon, the new month. Um, God does operate in times and seasons, and he's got the, a cyclical calendar that going that we that we like to celebrate and, and acknowledge. And so 
um, usually the, uh, the Sabbath before the new moon, we'll like to talk about some implications and some meanings of what that new moon uh, brings to the body of Yeshua uh, and, and to God. And so today just so happens to be the first day of the month of Tishri, which is Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah. Um, and Tishri means to begin, it means the head. Um, it means, uh, and which Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. The blessings that are associated with Tishri uh, are promotions. Um, if you like, think about it too, a lot of, um, a lot of businesses start their, um, their yearly calendar in, in the fall. School starts in the fall. There's a lot, of, um, a lot of times we just, naturally, we just have a tendency to kind of, as we start to see summer end, it gets cooler. Let's, let's reevaluate things. Where are we? What are we doing? Um, so, and this is interesting, the astrological sign for the month of Tishri. So just to go back, there's usually, there's so much. Um, I mean, and then really this is such a high level overview, but there's an astrological sign. Um, it is Libra, which is the scales. Um, there's usually a letter. There's usually a body part. There's usually um, just a theme. I mean, there's, there's just a lot that's going on every month that God wants to highlight every month. Um, so this was just the interesting part is it's the scales of justice uh, is the astrological sign for this month. And I find it very interesting that a Supreme Court justice just passed away last night, the eve of Rosh Hashanah. And so there will be a new Supreme Court justice coming in. And so my prayer is that as a country that wants to honor and love God, that somebody that honors and loves God's word, God's righteousness, um, and God's truth will be placed in a position to make decisions. Um, and so... Right, what's the what's the Hebrew word for coincidence? Is there there is no one? Yeah, there is none. All right. So, um, and I say that because there's going to be a couple other coincidences as I kind of uh, go through the holidays. I mean, this really Tishri is about the fall feasts. Um, there's Rosh Hashanah, Yom Tura. We are. This is the first day of the ten days of awe, which leads up to Yom Kippur, and then after that, we get to celebrate with Sukkot, when we'll go and um, we'll go, uh, go camping. Uh, then after that, there's Simhat Torah, where we get to roll back the scroll, celebrate the starting of the reading of the, um, of the Torah again. So um, there is just a lot. Um, if you ever want to know more details about every single one of those, Michael did a fantastic job of going through all of the feasts um, just last Saturday. Um, and I think it's on and it's on the website. Uh, definitely click it. I really highly encourage you to go listen to that um, because he does uh, just a fantastic job of explaining in a lot more detail um, the purposes, the meanings, where Yeshua is in that, how we can celebrate that, and what our role is to join in God with proclaiming the rule of redemption, his, his desire of redemption. Um, but so I want to redeem myself, speaking of redemption here. Um, there is a fast within Tishri that's really not, not known. <laughs> so it is mentioned in Zechariah 8.19 because it is, there's four fasts, the uh, fourth month, the fifth month, the seventh month, and the tenth month. And as I explained that a couple months ago for the month of Av, I said that the fast of the seventh month was Yom Kippur. It is not. 
Um, so does anybody know what the fast, there's, there's on the 7th, the 3rd of Tishri. Anybody know? Other than, other than you, can't, you can't answer. All right. I actually had to write it down. The fast of Gedaliah. So, and it's um, at dawn. It's a fast just at dawn. I think it's from dawn to dusk. So just, just during the light time, uh, it, is a, it is a fast uh, of joy, gladness, and it is, according to Zechariah 8.19, it is joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts. So just to add one more thing to this wonderful, go ahead, will be, correct. It will be because the ninth of Av is part of that. And right now it is, that is not, <laughs> it is solemn. So it will be. So prophetically, as we talk about promises. Um, and so next I want to get into the new year. So not only is this the first day of the first month, this is the first day of the new year. And so last year was 5780 and the 80 was pay. And it was a month of declarations, a month of, because um, pay means mouth. Um, it also, a lot, of, a, a lot of that was declarations. And last year we talked about how it was a good time to go over any of the prophetic words that were spoken over you and to just re-declare those and just speak those out. And I find it interesting, again, uh, ironic, that in the month, and that's not just the month or uh, the year, but the decade, the decade of declarations, about six months later, what happens in March? We're all wearing masks. And so I think that, what I say, as I look at things, God is saying something, and the enemy is always trying to counter that in any subtle way that he can. And so I just, I, it didn't hit me until as I was kind of going through all of this, that wait a minute, we're in a decade of declaration, of yelling, speaking God's promises to us. And then all of a sudden, churches are closed, we're wearing masks, we're telling each other to get away. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just the fear just kind of crept in. And so, and not saying that you know, anything, that virus was not real. I'm not saying that. that it, there's some real to, realness to it. But there's definitely a plan of the enemy to keep the church from its full potential, always. And so it's always something good to be reminded of what is God doing and, being, and having a plan to really stand when the enemy comes. Um, and so well, what does 5781 mean? So I wanted to take a little bit different of an approach because you can probably do a web search right now and just say 5781 Rosh Hashanah. You'll find a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different um, prophetic words, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different uh, just, I mean, for instance, uh, you could look at it from this way, 5781. Five is God's grace, seven, perfection, eight, new beginnings, one, oneness with God. You can create something with that. Um, there's always a, a letter value or a letter in the same value as a number, vice versa. There's always a number value with the letter. Five is hey, seven, Zion. Hey is a picture of a man with his hands raised. Also, it means to look or behold. Zion was a picture of a sword or a crown. Uh, het. Is a picture of a wall or a fence or a door. It represents life. The Aleph, it's a silent letter. And then it's a father. The father, it says, and the father of the Aleph Bet. Uh, taking, just going, so it's a picture of an ox where there's strength. So there's not only just 
numbers, there's meanings, there's pictures, there's, it's just, it's so, and then you can kind of connect it however you need, I guess, to create the words, the prophetically, that this upcoming year can be. You could also look at it from 5,000 plus 700 plus 80 plus one. And actually, when you put that together, somebody, somebody did that, um, I'm trusting that person. The, the word, the Hebrew word that comes together when they do all that, it comes to, to hippo, the actual word hippo, which can symbolize strength, courage, calm during a crisis, the ability to navigate your own emotions with clarity. Uh, hippos have a strong maternal instinct. Um, so there's a connection with that. Um, you can look at just adding, uh, adding all the numbers up, 57, 81, five plus seven plus eight plus one equals 21. Two plus one equals three. All right, three. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, completion. The letter is Gimel. Gimel is a sign of a camel. Camel can be referenced to provision. Um, and so there's just a lot of things. 5781, you can look at the gematria. Gematria is, as we just talked about, every letter has a value. You can add up all the values of the letters. So you can look up all, so one person actually looked up all scriptures that have the value of 5781. So there was two in the whole, in the whole scripture. Ezra 10.2 was one of them. And that was when they had to repent for coming, Ezra had to repent for allowing pagan wives. Uh, and then John 8.35 uh, was the other one. And it says, a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Um, and so you can look at that. Um, you can go to the Strong's. Strong's Dictionary, 5781. That comes up with a word uh, that is found in Amos 2.13, and that means to pack or to be pressed. And so there's a lot of different areas and approaches that you can uh, go through to figure out, well, what is God saying? The most important way, I think, if, if we want to really hone down on what God is saying is, what has he been telling you these last 30 days of Teshuvah? What, when you're with him, what has he been whispering? What has he been sharing? What has he been talking? And then you can compare that to really what God is doing. Because I think there's value in every single one of these approaches. There's never a one shot, this is how it's done, this is where it goes. So really, when it comes to what's God saying this year, we're always, sometimes we're like, what's God saying? All right, I don't know, I wanna hear, I wanna hear. What are you saying? I don't know, what is he saying? What's he telling you? Are you spending time with him to know what he is saying, to recognize his voice, to be able to decipher all of these means of knowing what is coming? So in general, we are in this decade of declaration, the promises, as we just talked about. Let's promise. We've all got, there's a promise that God has spoken over every single one of our lives that has yet to come to be fulfilled. Let's continue to speak that and declare that. And let's not be muzzled by the enemy. And let's, by faith, let them know that, yes, this is what God is doing. And even if it doesn't look that way, it's still what God is doing. And even if I have my children, I, if I have to wait for my children to see the promise of that, of that word. It's still what God is doing. 
I've had to take a different approach of, of prophetic words, of, in general, really, my life, too. It's just, what, what about my, I mean, now I'm thinking, what about my grandchildren? What about my children's children? Am I establishing a great foundation for my children's children? And then let's work back from there and see what God, and, and see how we can say what God is, is saying and apply that to today. Um, so I think the more great things that God has planned for you individually, for your family, for Emmaus Road, for the church in general, the enemy is going to try to put a mask on you. And that really, that just should excite us because, wow, this is going to be awesome. But it's not going to be without a fight. And we need a fight in the prayer closet. We need to fight with each other. We need to love. And then we need to speak and declare that life over every single one of us. And so, may it be your will, Lord God and God of our fathers, that you renew for us a good month in our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jared. And I assume you meant we should fight together with each other. You meant alongside each other. (laughs) We should fight each other. And no way. (laughs) Okay, let's fight along with each other. All right, there we go. All right. That's right. We're a a community of peace. Bless God, yeah. Great things in store. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Mm-hmm.